everybody. Nikki Brunette here. This is Taste Life Nutrition Radio, streaming live on KUHSDenver.com, hanging out with some of the most amazing people in the world. And today I'm super excited because we have Dr. Diane Mueller, who is um, an expert in treating like super chronic conditions. Um, and if you are one of those people who are dealing with symptoms that are unexplainable, and you have gone from doctor to doctor to doctor and round and round and round, uh, this is going to be a show you're going to want to pay attention to. And if you know somebody, go get them, because this is going to be a show you're going to want to pay attention to. It's going to be a great show. Um, first off, what's this, what's Taste Life Nutrition Radio about? As you know, I'm a functional nutritionist. Um, and I like to bring truth as much as possible to the healthcare world. We bring in the physical, the mental, the emotional, all of the things that go into true holistic health. Uh, they're all very, very important. And there are a lot of things that we don't know about or that, that some of us don't know. And I like to bring on people who can expand um, your view of what healthcare is and maybe can help guide you in places where you're, you didn't know there were these places to go, if that makes any sense at all. So um, first off, though, we start with gratitude. Start my morning with gratitude almost every morning, unless I'm running right late for the show, which was this morning. <laughs> it seems to happen all the time. Um, but starting with gratitude, if we can all get up, start the day with what we're thankful for, what we're excited about, uh, all of the amazing things that God has given us, then... Um, you know, we we really can change the world, um, put good energy out there, put goodness out there, and just be thankful for the awesomeness that we have. So, um, of course, Dr. Diane, thank you so much for being here. You're so fun, and you have so much to say. So, what's the first thing you're grateful for? What's, what's the thing you're grateful for today? Thank you so much for having me here. What I'm thinking about in this moment is I'm thankful for my body. You know, it's, I think it's an important thing to start with to be grateful for this and the topics we're going to talk about today. Because at one point, I was really, my body was so dysfunctional, so sick that I thought I was dying. I was getting ready to throw in the towel, move to a deserted island. And today I'm incredibly sore yet from an amazing day snowboarding the other day where <laughs> I basically rode nothing but moguls all day long. My app said I burned well over 2000 calories in just a few hours riding so hard. <laughs> and I can't even tell you guys like where I was over a decade ago and how much that would have been something that I was so far away from the realms of possibility. So I'm yeah. grateful for my body. Well, I, I will kind of piggyback off of that because I think that um, what so often happens in healthcare, especially with people like you, people who are, um, they're motivated by their own past. You know, when we go through the hard stuff, and I say this all the time, and it's, I'm just, I can't help sometimes being repetitive because it's so true. And it's, it, it is a story for a lot of people. But when we go through our own history and our own tough time, it is a character builder. It's a motivator because once you come on the other side of it, you're like, holy smokes, I have so much now to share. And although it's not a gift going through it necessarily, it's a gift on the other side of it because now you have the gift to give to so many people who are suffering. Um, and then and, and the ability to, to share it you know, on platforms like this and other platforms where – 
hopefully somebody has that light bulb go off and go, okay, I have something that I didn't know about, something that I hadn't thought about, somewhere I can go, whatever it might be, um, you know, or a family member or, or whatever, you know, this is, it's so important. And so um, I'm grateful for people like you who have those experiences that suck <laughs> and, and you, you learn from it and become and this, you know, amazing giving practitioner. And it's what, it's what, you know, the medical world should be, um, but it certainly is what, you know, the, the holistic world of, of medicine and nutrition, the functional world, um, those of us who, um, and this, I'm not discounting allopathic medicine at all, they're amazing, but there, there, are, there are people out there who need a lot of time, a lot of patience, and a lot of experience, and sometimes it's not easily found in allopathic medicine, um, so you move into the holistic or functional world where we have the ability, we take the time, hours sometimes, uh, well, it, like in one session, I know my first session is always two hours. I would imagine yours is probably at least two hours. Um, and then hours and hours and hours, and sometimes some of that's research, and sometimes it's working with the patients and the clients. Um, but, you know, that's what's needed because we're in a world right now where chronic disease is rampant. We, we know so much, we've learned so much, and we're still in a place where, you know, so, so often we're just boggled. We're like, what do we do with this? And, but we're learning and we're getting to it. So I'm going to stop rambling because I'm excited to let Dr. Mueller talk about what she does. Um, the simple things first, uh, and then we'll dig into all the fun stuff. But, you know, where you came from, I mean, this is obviously super important to, to, to your story and to our story today. And then, you know, what you do now, what excites you, what motivates you, all of the things that you want to share with us about who you are. Yeah, so I actually started my my growth and my career, everything in the finance world. And prior to actually going down into that world, I ended up being very, very sick throughout my childhood. I, I should I should say not not very very sick from like how a lot of people would say that means but more like i had symptoms my whole childhood digestively so i would i remember going on vacation sometimes and having to pack like multiple sets of pants like anything from size four all the way up to size 16 because of not knowing how incredibly bloated i could be like that's the level of wow. distinction i would have sometimes it was so bad so that's kind of what um, started me into more holistic alternative medicine was that IBS type of diagnosis when there was just no answer other than taking, you know, taking gas X, taking the laxative, these types of things. And when I decided the finance world was not for me and I found myself really kind of getting obsessed about holistic health and nutrition, and I was checking out a lot of books from the library on these topics. And so that's innately what got me into naturopathic medical school is, you know, it was really derived from needing answers for myself and things when I was in school, my digestive system started getting better as I started finding the root causes for that, for that. But what wound up happening was I just got, had other symptoms come up and I just got sicker and sicker and sicker to a point where I was having these 
what I'm calling now, I'm calling them episodes where I could literally leave my house and within like, like if I was going for a quick five minute walk around the block kind of thing, cause I, that's about all I could do cause I was so fatigued and I would leave and I would go like two blocks and all of a sudden I would have like this, this thing happen where it was like almost like this cloud would come over my brain and I would forget where I lived. Mm. And I remember at one point just like sitting a couple blocks in my house, like under this Doug fir tree and just being like, I don't know, you know, just, I don't, I don't know. And then, and this would last, like, it wasn't crazy long. It would last like five minutes. And then all of a sudden the cloud would lift and I would kind of come to, like I was coming out of some sort of trance and I would remember where I lived. And so there's a lot of other, you know, crazy neurological things that were happening, memory loss, fibromyalgia, my pain was so bad. And um, it got really kind of written off as just medical school syndrome and, you know, adrenal issues because that was logical. And it wasn't until I graduated and all my friends and colleagues were reporting how much they were feeling just alive and their vitality was coming back and I, was just so much worse that I actually realized that I had a legitimate problem. And that's kind of how I found out and, and did a bunch of tests and realized it was Lyme and mold and, um, and then went the route of, of learning about it and treating about it and, and now helping other people. That's, it's, it's so interesting. And one of the things when I was, you know, kind of prepping for the show and, you know, doing my you know, promo for the show and that kind of thing is, is talking about the difficulty in diagnosing things like Lyme and mold, especially if you don't know that there is naturopathic medicine out there or functional medicine or, you know, those who who are a little more experienced or at least have heard of some of these things. You know, there's still there's there are a lot of people, physicians out there who haven't heard of mold exposure and how horribly horribly horrible it can be and this and what it can mimic you know there are diseases that Lyme and mold can mimic and we'll get deeper into that but um you know again just super grateful to have you on so we can we can talk about this and I just pray that somebody out there is seeing this going okay I have some hope now you know um and so as far as what you do today um so you have a practice uh, and you have a business partner and your specialties are, it's, it's Lyme and mold, but it's beyond that as well, right? Yeah, it's Lyme and mold, but I really, it's like, I really look at health as we can't separate things. Right. You know, it's like, when we really get down to it, Lyme and mold can affect the gut. They can, it can affect the, the vagal nerve. It can affect the cognition and the brain and how we think about it, our nervous system and our hormones of all types, our liver functioning, our immune function. There's so many different things. So, you know, some people, it's like, if you look at my website, it's clearly targeted to Lyme and mold. And a lot of my clients do have that, but I really look at what, what we do at medicine with heart is like, it's like, we're a holist, you know, it's like, it's really about treating the entire body. And I really feel like when we just go after the infections and just say, okay, we're going to kill these infections. We don't go and like clean up the gut and the liver and the hormones and all these other places we're really not restoring wellness. So it's really about identifying the entirety of the problem, which many times Lyme and mold are part of it, but we don't know until we get in, we lab test. Right, right. Which yeah. is which is always, uh, 
you know, in my mind, for a couple of reasons, such an important aspect of what we do is running the labs. Um, and I think in part because we need to know, you know, it's what, what functional medicine and functional nutrition is, is looking at how the body's functioning and why it's functioning as it is. But also, when you run these labs, and they're, they're pretty specific to the functional medicine, functional nutrition world, I have to separate because I'm a nutritionist, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but when, we, when we run these labs and we can show our clients who, and patients who have, been, who have been searching and searching and searching, we, when we can say, okay, this piece of paper is your body talking to us. And this is, this is a way that we can start to go and achieve your goals of getting healthy. It will probably take some time, but let's, let's just start working on it. Now we have a place to start, right? Um, and one of the things that I want to be really clear about, too, that I think people need to understand, and I've been hitting on this a lot lately, is you and I, I'm sure you, I know I do, I run stool tests on everybody, um, lots of great things come up. We can look at inflammatory markers. We can look at, you know, microbiome and bacteria. Worms rarely come up. And do you agree with this, that you hardly I ever agree. see worms? And yeah. they can be a huge, huge problem. Um, so knowing that the tests are great and amazing and, and, and accurate for the most part, they're not accurate with worms. So don't feel like if something doesn't come up, there still isn't something going on there. But there, you know, these these infections can can create massive problems. And so often, when we have we were diagnosed with a Lyme or mold or or any something else, we still have to ask why. You know, why has the, was the immune system not able to fight it off? Um, and so, you know, soapbox. We got to understand. You know, <laughs> these infections are so important and can be so catastrophic to our health and to our immune system. When the body's just fighting this this thing and all these other things are going on, we're like, why can I not get these other things to go away? It's because the body's focused, right? Uh, it's trying to keep us alive. So that's what it, that's what it does. Um, so I think there's, oh gosh, there's so many things that we can talk about. What I love that you said a little while ago, though, was getting into some of the myths about Lime and mold and and, and if there's if there's a, a place you want to start before we get into that that's fine I'm just super intrigued by it <laughs> yeah I I'm totally into getting straight into that I just yeah. um, want to kind of piggyback on something you said though because yeah. I think it's so important I just love emphasizing it which is when you're talking about like like the why like I love when you're saying like even with lime and mold we have to ask why and I think that's it's one of the biggest tragedies I think right now in medicine is like, we get so excited about like the label, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Lyme disease, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel syndrome, like whatever it is. And when we continue to ask why enough, we oftentimes get down to some very, very basic things like yeah. sleep hygiene, quality of food, environment, you know, how much um, water we're intaking, how we're managing stress. And all of these things are, I think sometimes gets put on the back burner as far as like the importance of them. But if we ask, if we keep asking why enough, oftentimes we get down to this fundamental basic, these fundamental basics that we do every other day or every single day that we yeah. should be doing every single day. And as we need to do all of the exciting stuff we're going to talk about around treating things like Lyme and mold, 
I really think what you said is so, so important to say like, all of these things are, are great. And if we don't get the basics right, yeah. then this is not, we're never gonna get there either because that's mm -hmm. oftentimes the fundamental of the why. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting when um, there's some pretty great diagrams out there, but you know, you've got the, you've got, you know, you have inflammation and you have stress, but stress causes inflammation. And then you have lack of sleep, which causes inflammation and stress. And then you have infection, which causes lack of sleep and inflammation and stress. And, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it's just these, there are multiple factors, but like you said, always, and I say this too, and I think it's so important to say it over and over and over again, but it's like the five-year-old. Why, 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 why? You just keep asking why, keep digging, because the answers are there. Symptoms are just that disease is a symptom symptoms you know and and so it's the body trying to say hey i now need you to step in because i can't do this on my own anymore because so often we're just sitting back going okay i'm gonna eat whatever i want and do whatever i want my body's gonna take care of me and whatever and the body's like nope i'm done i need you to jump in and find somebody yeah. who can help yeah yeah absolutely 100 percent. 100 so then you want to get into the myth stuff yeah. now yeah okay fantastic so to start, you know, start with one of the things we were talking about before we jumped on live here, which is with Lyme disease, so many people for so long thought a couple things, like one being that you have to have this bullseye target looking lesion, this, this rash in order for it to be Lyme disease. And so that is so far from the truth. There's actually only about a quarter of people that have that rash. So like if you see that rash, hooray, because you actually know you have it. But if you don't have that rash, you cannot rule out Lyme disease as being a possible, you know, possibility. Let me, so that's let one. me just clarify yeah, something real quick. I'm sorry. So just in case you don't know, Lyme disease comes from ticks. And so when they bite, they can leave what, you know, looks like a target. I point to my leg because my husband had this, <laughs> but it can leave what she's saying is that, is that target lesion. And then, but it may not. So I just want to clarify, if you don't know that this is a tick borne disease. It's a tick-borne disease, and then also there's there's two published studies, one showing that mosquitoes can carry oh, Lyme, and one study, and these are very, very interesting studies, mm -hmm. but one study actually showed that fleas can contain Lyme. Oh. So ticks, ticks are definitely our predominant insect mm -hmm. at this point that we know of, but there are this, you know, there, there's this preliminary data that's really looking to say some of these other insects that do carry disease can actually be, mm -hmm. you know, carrying Borrelia, which is basically the, the Lyme bacteria, Borrelia burgdorferi, the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. And so it's even beyond ticks. And so that's a really important thing to realize. And then another big thing is, is Lyme was named after Lyme, Connecticut, where Lyme was originally found. And so it's definitely like the, the New England states of the United States. Absolutely, there's a huge amount of Lyme there and, and more Lyme there perhaps than other areas in the country and in the world. But if you actually follow, especially if you look at like veterinary um, patterns where they're tracking Lyme in animals, you can actually see a ton more spread of Lyme beyond, you know, beyond these New England states. So that's what we could say is myth number two is that this is really just like an endemic of where you have to go to the, uh, these New England states or you have to live there in order to get Lyme. And it's much more, it's much more prolific than just those areas of the country. Yeah, okay, yeah. I would say, um, you know, you've got your Southern states where there are lots of ticks, lots of mosquitoes, lots of fleas, you know, I'm from Texas. Um, I think there's lots of Lyme down there, um, you know, 
Florida, Louisiana, you know, all of those sort of eastern. But I think it's everywhere. I mean, we see it here all the time, I, but it is truly everywhere. Um, and so interesting about the fleas and the mosquitoes. Not surprising, I don't think, but interesting because that's what they do is they carry disease, little suckers. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'll give you a, a grow. This is a little bit gross, um, but it's, it's be gross. scientific gross. Yes. So there's a, there's a songbird that originates from Canada, and this songbird actually has been known to carry the larvae of infected ticks um, oh. that, you know, that have basically Lyme disease. So basically as a songbird travels mm. and essentially defecates all over the earth, that's the gross part, it's actually <laughs> defecating infected ticks that these ticks are infected with Borrelia and so that's another kind of way that we're learning that Lyme is actually spreading it's like it's spreading as these birds fly all over the place would you call it an epidemic I at this point I would call it that but if we're just using the current numbers that we're seeing we're not you know we wouldn't right, call that, right. that the reason why I think it might be an epidemic is more based upon the fact that I think we're severely underdiagnosing it mm -hmm. And if you look at the standard of diagnosing in Western medicine and conventional medicine, the standard is to first use a test called an ELISA. And then if that test is positive for Lyme, then you do a confirmatory test called the Western blot. So, you know, this is a lot of like medical mumbo jumbo, but the, the thing to really take home you guys with this is that first test that's done conventionally, the ELISA test, that first test there are studies that show that that test has a 66% chance of being falsely yeah, negative. Yeah. And that's what we're using as our gold standard, you know? So it's like, if you look at the numbers and you would say, no, this is not an epidemic, but if you actually were, we are actually to have like good tests out there, I would say it's possible that it could be because I just see the relationship and research of this to so mm -hmm. many diseases that we're saying don't have a cause. Do you, do you do Western blot or do you do something else? I do a combined Western blot with a PCR. Okay. So Western blot is where you guys, what we're doing with the Western blot is you're actually looking at the protein components that are contained in the Borrelia bacteria. And we're looking for how our immune system reacts to those protein components. And then a PCR is where we're actually looking more for the DNA right. of microorganism, microorganism itself. And so the advantage of doing both is it helps provide this check and balance type of situation where if we're not getting our immune system reacting in the one in the western block because that's an immune system reactivity we're looking for and if that's not happening which sometimes it's not happening if Lyme is in a dormant state it can go dormant and hide and so then we have another kind of check and balance with that dna type of test so we can we can actually catch it a lot more than some of our standard conventional tests that way right it's interesting being in the place we are now where most everybody has heard of PCR. <laughs> you know, prior to the last two years with all of the craziness, you know, it's like, you know, we would talk about PCR, but <laughs> it's like everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, cool. So um, I let's maybe talk about, <laughs> because this is, this is, this is a question that, that, is not the easiest question because, but I want everybody to hear you talk about it, but it's the symptoms, which are wide ranging. So talk about what you see and what people can look for. 
Yeah, you said something earlier saying that Lyme was a mimicker. I'm going to even like say elevate that a little bit and say Lyme is like the great mimicker, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like totally, you know, you're totally on track there with like it can look like just about anything. Now, that being said, in answer to your question, there are definitely tendencies we see. So Lyme loves hyaluronic acid, that that component that makes our joints supple and move and so we have a lot of hyaluronic acid in our joints and so we'll see that lime oftentimes will will be living in our joint space because essentially that's where its food source is so a common thing with lime is migratory pain meaning it's in the shoulder one day it's in the hip the next day it's in the knee the next day lime also tends to when it goes after joints it tends to go after larger joints like the joints i'm mentioning not so much like the rheumatoid type of things that we see in some of our smaller joints like our fingers for example so that's very very that's a pretty classic thing but it's not textbook not everybody has that other really common things we see though so it's it's pretty common to have various types of dysautonomia where our nervous system's not working very well and that can manifest as dizziness as vertigo as heart palpitations Lyme loves, loves, loves the heart. So we can get a lot of symptoms. A lot of people that are on beta blockers, these heart medications could have Lyme. And then disruptions of sleep and mood are also incredibly common or incredibly common. So we see there's something called Lyme rage as we call it in the Lyme literate community, which is basically where it's like people are super quick to anger. And it's because their nervous system is so inflamed that when we get a little tiny stimulus where a healthy person could be like, huh, no big deal, like that's an inconvenience, but not a problem. When our nervous system is so inflamed, a little tiny stimulus can really push us over the edge. And sometimes it can be like, you know, this this internal mental challenge of like, why do I have all this anger? Why can't I get rid of this? What is wrong with me? And oftentimes that can be an underlying sign of Lyme as well. Interesting, so interesting. Um, And so, Moving into, you know, we were talking about things like co-infections um, and what can come along with Lyme and, and why, you know, why do, why are these co-infections with Lyme? So when a insect bites us, unfortunately, it doesn't like selectively choose and say, I'm just going to give you one thing that's in my bloodstream. Mm-hmm. You get to be basically the the subject of whatever this insect is carrying, it will deliver it. So if the insect is carrying 10 different microorganisms, guess what? You're probably getting 10 different microorganisms. If it's carrying one or nine, then that's what you're going to get in that situation. So co-infection is, in some ways, I think it's an improper word just because it's kind of, it it almost sounds like if we get bit by Lyme or by an insect that contains Borrelia Lyme, that we are possibly going to get these other things. Bartonella is another infection. Babesia is another infection. So we're we're possibly going to get these other microorganisms. The thing I don't like about the term co-infection is it almost almost predisposes, it almost makes one think that you can't get some of these other infections like Bartonella, which is a common insect-borne infection, that you can't get it unless you also have Lyme. And so co-infection is a term we use for infections transmitted with insects. But it's important to delineate that that we could get them in combination with with Lyme, but we could also get some of these other microorganisms delivered to our body without having Lyme. It's just depending upon what the insect is carrying. Okay. 
That's perfect. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, and so when it comes to mold and lime, let's talk about mold and lime. Yeah, so mold and Lyme are definitely sister diseases, and they're sister diseases in part due to genetics. So let's take a step back and just make sure that everybody understands what we're talking about with mold. So with mold, there's a, there's a couple different things that can happen. The big thing that's talked about in the mold community is where we have a genetic anomaly, which affects almost a quarter of the population. And essentially that genetic anomaly makes it so our immune system is not able to tag mold toxins. So I have the genetic anomaly. So if I'm in a moldy place, I breathe in those mold toxins and my immune system's like, what mold toxins? I don't see any mold toxins and they will build up in my body, right? And so that can be one situation. We can also actually have a situation where we have mold spores inside of us. They're growing, they're creating the toxins because they're actually living inside of us. So that's, that's kind of the you know, 101 of what mold illness is. Now, the connection between mold and Lyme is also due to this genetic predisposition. So for some people, there, there's different versions of the gene that makes us more susceptible to mold. And some people have a version of the gene that will also make it difficult for their immune system to recognize toxins that the Lyme bacteria produces. So a lot of how microorganisms across the board make us sick in part is due to the toxic effect they have on our body. And so with the, this particular genetic I'm talking about, there's a, there's a particular genetic that will make us susceptible to mold, but also make us susceptible to not being able to recognize the Lyme toxins. And then we get like that buildup of both. And it becomes very difficult to sort out sometimes which symptoms are coming from which because they're both the great mimickers. They both produce many of the same symptoms, but oftentimes it really comes down to just being as simple as understanding that if they're both present, we need to treat them both. Right, right. That's great. Thank you. Um, mold is, I think, super underdiagnosed as well. Um, and I would also call it a mimicker. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, you have one, it's terrible. You have both. It's super terrible. <laughs> But by keeping that in mind that, you know, and, and maybe we just go ahead and get in this as we're talking about, you know, the symptoms, the, the neurological symptoms, there's, you know, what's called SIRS, it's the chronic inflammatory response syndrome, uh, or, uh, yeah, and then, you know, moving into things like Parkinson's, ALS, MS, uh, Alzheimer's, fibromyalgia, um, so I'm kind of backing up for a minute because I saw that you, you have a blog that I, I appreciated and it was the Lyme versus fibromyalgia. And then we can get into some of the other stuff, but maybe we start there because I have found, and I, I believe you would agree with this, that fibromyalgia is kind of like IBS in a sense, right? It's that catch-all, I don't know what's wrong with you, so you have fibromyalgia in a sense, put simply. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. 100%. I mean, and I think this kind of brings us full circle in some ways to the beginning part of our discussion around like why, right? So it's mm -hmm. so, you know, mm -hmm. I look at like a diagnosis like fibro or IBS as the beginning and not the end. And so much so the problem is we get this diagnosis and then it's like, we're so trained just in our culture and society to be like, okay, this is just what I have mm -hmm. versus actually saying, okay, this is, this is basically a term 
that is a definition for for a grouping of experiences and symptoms I'm having. Mm -hmm. But it's not actually saying why. Like the body does not just go through like the pain and the fatigue that comes with fibro for no reason. There's something that is out of balance that's changing the nervous system threshold where we're actually, you know, seeing like sometimes like just a tiny little touch like that as being incredibly painful. And that's because our nervous system has actually been programmed due to something to actually recognize pain at a different level. That's so interesting. Um, I do have, it's a very short-term experience, but someone who uh, who I have not worked with to date, but she said, you know, I have all of these symptoms, and finally, I was finally diagnosed with, with fibromyalgia, and at least I have an answer. I was like, what's your answer? <laughs> so I'm still working on that one, going, okay, let's talk a little, just a little bit more. <laughs> But yes, I love that you say that because it, you know, a diagnosis is, is it, like you said, a group of symptoms. We have to pay attention to that and continue digging, keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. Um, and so you, how often are you experiencing people coming in who have been diagnosed with Parkinson's or MS or ALS or, or Alzheimer's and you start digging and you find these infections? So... These types of diseases I'm, are only making up about 10% of my practice, so they're not okay. a huge part of my practice. Okay. But what's interesting is when I do see you know, the 10% of my people that do have these particular diseases, right now I have not seen one single person that does not have Lyme or mold that is in that population. Not saying that these are the only causes, not saying that you know everybody that has these diseases does have Lyme or mold, but I, I am batting, batting a thousand with my current population in that area. So it is my, you know, it is my theory based upon clinical experience, but also based upon there are studies, for example, like on Alzheimer patients, on Parkinson's at autopsy and seeing some of the changes in the brain and actually mm-hmm. seeing the Lyme bacteria in the brain. Mm-hmm. In fact, like the beta amyloid plaques we see with Alzheimer's, now we're actually realizing that they have antimicrobial properties. Mm-hmm. And so some of what we're seeing in these disease processes is almost like it's antimicrobial or it's actually these processes are designed to help kick toxins out of our brain. And so now some of the current working theory on these diseases is that they're, the actual process of where we're going as far as developing, developing these diseases is coming from our body almost doing a compensatory type of mechanism to try to heal Mm -hmm. from something like Lyme, from something like mold toxins. And then when the body tries to do this, of course it backfires and it creates all these other problems and leads to all these diseases. But it's, there's, this is coming, you know, not just kind of from theory, there is clinical, I'm seeing this clinically, but there are also published studies, like I said, showing these spirochetes in the brain and showing this connection so I'm seeing it. I think we need a lot earlier diagnosis. Um, there's also some really, really cool research on sound and light therapy oh. and it's doing it in mice right now. And I think this has moved into human clinical trials now, but actually reversing things like, like these plaques and activating the microglia in our brain, the trash, clean out the trash kind of parts of our brain. And is actually showing really, really great promise for, you know, for possibly being, being able to reverse some of these neurological conditions. Yep. But certainly the take home point with this is like, if you have, especially like if you're in the early stage where they're like Alzheimer's, like 
Parkinson's like, and it's not progressed to a level where you even, you know, can say you fully have a diagnosis. I would take it so seriously about going and getting yeah. this information as quickly as possible because I do believe we are moving in medicine where we're going to see some of these new therapies around reversal. But right now, where we're at with the current medicine and science, like the earlier, the better. We need that time to make the body have the, the body needs the opportunity to actually heal and reverse from this stuff. Right. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important to understand how smart the body is. You know, it's there to protect us. It wants to live. And um, and, and, and exactly what you're saying, um, you know, I, I have, you know, the, I'm totally going off topic, but you know, there are we there as you were talking about there are certain genetic predispositions and you know things expressed due to what what our body is going through. Um, and so for me personally, I have a genetic predisposition predisposition to Alzheimer's. I've seen it, I'm super high. And so the great thing is is knowing what you have where your potential lies, and then you know, as you're dealing with symptoms, you know, we those they can be reversed the body is protective it wants to take care of you um i love the whole genetic epigenetic world because it can give us so much information it's not diagnostic but it's truly amazing um to see what your potential is and then you have really good guidance on what we what you can do what how we can all help to manage and to reverse it's just it's super cool stuff i just love it I love it too. I think the thing that we have to be so careful about it is like going and looking at that material and realizing like this is empowering. This is like talking about like, okay, you have the tendency to go the certain way if you don't make certain choices. But then being very careful when we look at that information, you say, okay, you have the Alzheimer's genes, being very careful to like not program the brain. Uh So the brain all of a sudden buy into like, I'm on this trajectory to Alzheimer's. It's no, it's like you're on this trajectory to doing the choices to actually manipulate your genes Mm -hmm. so you don't get these disease processes. So power versus victim. Yes, thank you for that. Um, You know, I I come in contact with with clients who I say, we have the option of looking at these things. And some of them like, I don't want to know, which is okay because then – I know if they want to look, you know, I can know and then I can know how to help, but then they don't have to know. But it also is, it is empowering to know that we have the ability to to not allow this to happen. This is why I love, you know, the epigenetic world so much. And I have on my website, we do have control over our genetic destiny because we do. We do. It is so empowering to know our potential, good and bad but know that epigenetics is lifestyle. It is all lifestyle factors and we have control over that. It gives us a lot of accountability. We can't blame it on our family and our, you know, history and all of these things. Uh, for the most part, you know, trauma is a different story, but, um, anyway, it is, it, we have so much power in our health. And I think that that's, that's something that I want to really get across. Even if you're struggling as much as Dr. Diane was, as much as many people do for years and years and years and years, there are answers and i think most all the time somebody is going to be able to help you find some answers to help manage um and so there's hope just remember that there's always hope um <laughs> yeah not anymore <laughs> yeah um real quick i need to take a quick break because we have an amazing sponsor who i love um cellcore biosciences do you use cellcore at all 
I don't use Cellcor in my practice, but I do know them and I think they're a great company. Yeah, yeah, they are fairly new to the world of supplements, um, but they are uh, amazing and innovative in the way that they approach uh, health at the, at the foundational level. Um, when it comes to, not to get super geeky sciencey, but I can't help it because it's awesome, but you know, looking at mitochondrial health, looking at the parasites and the worms that we're dealing with and addressing those things and, 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 and reaching health out the, at the foundation and then allowing the body to balance as you move, uh, move along the protocols for uh, you know, uh, drainage and detoxification and elimination of microbes and uh, so on and so forth and, and, and oxygenating the cells. Um, it's just awesome stuff. I love who they are and what they're about, and I'm grateful to have them as one of our sponsors. So thank you to uh, 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 Cellcore Biosciences. You can only get them through practitioners. So, uh, but check out their website. They have tons of data, lots of good data. So check them out um, and then if you want to go further with it, then find a practitioner. You can find me. I'm here. <laughs> so good stuff. I appreciate them a ton. Um, I want to talk real quick about because I don't know. I don't know anything about what this is. So I just saw this on your website, but it's the LL37 antimicrobial peptide, and I want to know more about this. Yeah, so peptides, just so everybody knows, um, peptides are essentially protein molecules. And so we're seeing a ton of new research come out about the use of peptides, either topically or orally or through injection. LL37 is a peptide that's classically giving, given through an injection, but it basically is a peptide that we're seeing in research. So it's a protein that we're seeing in research that basically is has a ton of antimicrobial properties. So it has antibacterial properties, antiviral properties, antifungal properties. And you know, one of the great things about peptides, just like one of the great things about cell core is, is that it's just, it's like this new information on the scene. So it's giving people other options. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things I've seen with the use of peptides, we use peptide therapy a lot in our practice, is it just provides a different option for people because one of the things I've learned the most in the Lyme and mold community is that there's really not a one-size-fits-all treatment and some people will react to one thing and they will not react to another thing as far as antimicrobials where some antimicrobials will make them feel really sick and others they, they can tolerate so having a lot of different options for people is a really great thing and then having injection therapy is sometimes as, a, as our antimicrobials is also a really great thing for some people because some people don't digest that very well some people don't absorb things very well and so having another way of doing some antimicrobial therapy that is avoiding the gastrointestinal tract yeah. is a really great thing and also the fact that we have an antifungal component and an antibacterial and an antiviral we can hit a lot of our different microorganisms with this one particular peptide. Is this something that you do at your practice? We, yes, we do this at our practice. We also sometimes will have it compounded and well, it is compounded, okay. but we also sometimes um, will send it to people to do their own injections. So that's oh, another. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So where is it injected? 
So classically, it's injected into oftentimes the abdomen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you use it into the gastrointestinal tract, or not in the gastro, the glutes. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, okay. So abdomen or glutes. And then in our practice, if we're giving it um, in person, one of the things that we'll actually do is we'll combine acupuncture theory with it. Mm -hmm. So we'll sometimes we'll actually inject it into an acupuncture point that is used that is say out of balance with their current chemistry. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's so fun. It's so fun. Um, and so it doesn't have to be IV, which a lot of things do have to be IV. So that's great. So the butt or the belly is, <laughs> is where it goes. Yes, exactly. Cool. The, the area we have tend to have a little more fat accumulation. Yeah. Yeah. Usually doesn't hurt as much. Uh-huh. Perfect. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, okay, so we have, oh gosh, we only have a few minutes left. Is there anything else that you want to hit on? Because um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, where you're found, what you've been doing. You know, I know you have communities and you have your institute, you have at least one book. You know, I want you, I want to, want people to know where to find you, all of the things. We've got like seven minutes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, We'll start with my books. My book's called Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lime. That can be found on Amazon. And, and just so people know, like I named it that way to, to integrate the concept of like, we also have to work on the mind, mm -hmm. but it does go through a ton of the body root treatments. It goes through a lot of the science behind what we're doing and a lot of the things that we could probably spend the next weekend talking about and not get through everything because it's mm -hmm. so fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, one of the things you'll see in the book that I think is a really important point to mention on the show is that when it comes to Lyme and mold treatment, it is so important to think about not just killing and not just detoxifying, but also rebuilding the system. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. most people have dysfunctional hormones. Mm -hmm. Most people have a gut permeability that is leaky. Most people have a brain, their blood brain barrier is leaky. Mm -hmm. And so really in working with somebody or somebody's, you know, a team of people that are going to analyze, not just for if you have these things, but for if you have all of the damage that is oftentimes associated with these things and making sure you're working step-by-step step to kill, to detox, but also to rebuild and repair. So I think that's a really important point. And you'll see me go into a lot more detail in that use your mind to heal your mold and line book. I think that that's something that's a, a really, really good point that I want to hit on again is a team. Sometimes you got to have a team of people. It's not just one. It's not, you know, you might need a couple of doctors. You might need your nutritionist. You might need your acupuncturist and your Chinese medicine and your herbs and, you know, all of the things and then other other therapeutics that are out there. Um, so it because it's so difficult, um, depending, you know, no matter what it is, uh, because it's so difficult don't don't close off really open up find the people who are there who who know what they're doing and can help you in their specialty and then there are going to be other specialties as well so know know that i you know anytime i've worked with anybody with mold or lime um it, it's been as a as part of a team so i think yeah. that that's important okay yeah. um and you are in lakewood colorado yes I'm in Lakewood, Colorado, yes, so we do have our brick and mortar there. Mm -hmm. um, we do treat people all over the country and even all over the world. We have a lot of international clients at this point. So 
we have ways of working, you know, working with you if you are, you know, not local to us and ways of getting you your blood drawn and all that kind of stuff. And even in our office, you know, I love, I love that you're emphasizing the team. Like even in my practice, like people come into my practice, we have people work with my entire team. Mm -hmm. So I have a team of practitioners and we all work together and we all contribute to, to the caseload because I've really seen with this, it's like, we have to hit all the different areas, body, mind, soul, and spirit, and it's all integrated. And so working with a team that's really doing this is, is I think super important. And that's even what we've built into our, our practice, which is called medicine with heart and can be found at medicinewithheart.com. And if you go to the website, which you should, uh, there are tons of good articles, resources, all the things that they do. I mean, so as you said, yes, you work with the mold and the Lyme, uh, but there's, you know, there's PCOS, there's autoimmunity, there's, you know, thyroid conditions, but are they all related? You know, you know, again, it's a holistic view. Um, you can't just treat, I don't treat, but in your case, <laughs> you have to be so careful, but you can't yeah. just treat the thyroid, right? Why is the thyroid dysfunction? You can't just treat PCOS. Um, why is there dysfunction? Ask why. We always got to ask why. Um, so anything else that, uh, that you want to, uh, add just to make sure that if there's any clinician or practitioner watching this, I do own an online functional medicine school. Yep. And so we do train clinicians and certify clinicians all over the world. Um, we have people that have had an amazing success with our program that are surgeons. We have amazing success with nutritionists. So, you know, there's a lot of different types of degrees and backgrounds that go through our program really it's about wanting to have you know more protocols more understanding of of holistic care more understanding of how to test and interpret and treat these difficult cases and we go through lime and mold and everything you know everything more complicated less complicated and in between yeah no that's great i have um it's always been on my list. I'm like, okay, I need to do this. I want to do this. <laughs> so look out for me. <laughs> I'd love to have you. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if I said where to find that. That's at mindbodyfunctionalmedicine.com. It's the uh, training institute. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, once we jump off, stay on with me here for just a second. Um, but thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, this, is the, this is the stuff that we need to hear about. And I'm grateful for you uh, hanging out with me today. Um, you can find me at tastelifenutrition.com. You can go on and I have a free assessment on there. I'll reach out to you personally and we can chat about what's going on with you um, and if we can help or if there are other places we can point you uh, that is a direction that can be beneficial for you. So um, I uh, have uh, courses. I have group coaching. I have one-on-one -on -one coaching, consulting. Um, and, uh, and just as most everybody else is doing, so much of what I do is virtual. Uh, you know, like Dr. Diane said, we can get you labs and get you kits and figure out where to go to send you to, 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 to do things, even if you are across the street, the state, the country, or the world. Um, these things can be done. So um, we are weekly at this point. Remember, we were every other week. We're now weekly. So we'll be back next week with another amazing guest and good conversation. So be sure to join us. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dr. Diane. Bye, guys. Thank you. Just rolling. <laughs>